0: In a time of high interest rates, an upcoming recession, it can be really difficult for borrowers, people who are renewing, purchasing, or refinancing, to figure out exactly what mortgage product they should take. This week on the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, we have RMG's Bruno Valco, who is joining us to talk about what are the important indicators that borrowers should be paying attention to when they're taking out their mortgage. Hope you enjoy. This is the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, the show that highlights Saskatchewan real estate. Looking to buy your first house, your next investment property? Subscribe to never miss an episode. Here's your host, Ron Caroni. Hello and welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. Your home for all things Saskatchewan, all things real estate. If you're new to the channel, make sure to do us a favor, hit the like button. And if you have not done so yet, please consider subscribing. I am very excited for this week's episode. I love to talk about economy and finance, and it's one of the most popular questions that I get from people on the street when they stop me and hear that, hey, you're a mortgage broker. What's happening with the market? What's happening with interest rates? And really honored to have Bruno Valco. He's a veteran in the Canadian mortgage broker business space, started in... 1990 with a finance company and over the years worked for Life Trust and a bank as well as a mortgage brokerage. He's now with RMG Mortgages, a division of MCAP for the past 13 years. He enjoys following the market and educating mortgage brokers and their clients on what influences interest rates. What an intro, Bruno. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Really happy to have you here, Bruno. You've been sending some amazing emails. We've been chatting about it at the office about what's happening in bond yields in America. And I thought it would be just great to get you on the podcast and share with the listeners, with the viewers about what exactly we're seeing right now from the market. So um, I'll kind of lead off with a broad one. What are the markets telling us and have we entered recession?
1: I think that from my perspective, and when I look at it from my perspective, it's from the mortgage perspective of what is happening with, uh, of course, the Bank of Canada, which influences prime interest rates, which influences our variable adjustable rate mortgages, uh, but also the five-year Canada government bond yield, um, which influences the five-year fixed rate mortgages. So when I look at the market um, and I see what's happening in Canada, versus what's going on in the United States, um, I can see a little bit of divergence there. I think that Canada is arguably in a so-called technical recession. So a technical recession would be two negative quarters, and we already had a negative quarter, they adjusted it down, Q2. Q3 is looking like it's going to be a negative GDP number. Um, So those two negative quarters, negative GDP numbers, would basically say that we're in a technical recession. So when we talk about the market, we talk about interest rates, we often hear this notion of higher for longer. And that's kind of the narrative. Remember the narrative was inflation was transitory. Well, you know, now we're all kind of laughing, but unfortunately it wasn't transitory. And we waited too long to increase interest rates. Had we started earlier, maybe we wouldn't have had to have gone so high. Maybe prime wouldn't be 7.2 if we started increasing rates sooner. We would have cooled the economy and inflation was real. It wasn't transitory. We would have dealt with it in an earlier time. So a couple of things. Maybe we wouldn't have gone up as high. Number two is maybe we could have started coming down sooner if we had tackled inflation when we should have instead of saying it was transitory. Now we're saying higher for longer, but if we're in a recession and we believe that we have two quarters of negative growth, Um, Higher for longer, again, we have to start looking at that. There's a lot of data. I don't make any predictions myself, so I'm not gonna predict what interest rates are gonna do because it's impossible. I mean, there's a lot of things that happen, um, be it Saudi Arabia and Russia get together and decide, hey, we're gonna uh, decrease the supply of oil. Well, that increases the price of oil, increases the price of gas, and it's inflationary, but nobody would've thought that Saudi Arabia and Russia were gonna get together and decrease the world supply of oil. Um, we got this notion of, uh, and you've seen it in my reports, um, is a bond vigilante. So, bond vigilante for your customers out there and your clients that are listening. You can Google bond vigilante, and a bond vigilante is something I only learned of this year. It's basically the market saying, you know what? We don't like the amount of government debt, and the U.S. right now has 33 trillion dollars in debt. Recently, we saw a graph that said the interest alone on the U.S. debt is $1 trillion. They have to pay for that, and they pay for that by issuing bonds. The market is saying, you know, we don't like the supply. There's so much supply that when there's too much supply, what do you do? You drive the price down. When you drive the price down on a bond, you increase the yield. So the yields go up because the price is going down because of the sheer quantity of these issuance and you see some stuff in the market now where they're actually following the 10-year US Treasury even closer than they're following inflation because when they issue these bonds 20-year 30-year uh, bonds in the. US um, you got to look at it from the consideration of to what extent is government spending causing not only inflation, but higher rates for everyone out there. And I do quote Milton Friedman a lot. That's another one that your audience could look at. Milton Friedman was an economist from 40 years ago and he was he won Nobel Prizes in economics and he was very smart and he basically said, you know what, inflation is money. It's money supply. And when your money supply is outpacing your growth, Um, it causes inflation. And right now, the debt to GDP in the United States is higher than it was after World War II. I think after World War II is about 118. It's 126 in the U.S., higher than after World War II. In Canada, it's not that much better. It's about 112. But we have so much debt to our GDP that the market is pricing those debt loads on a lower price, which is of course increasing yields. So what's the market saying? Well, a couple of things in Canada, it might be screaming, hey, we're in a recession. You know, maybe like Desjardins recently did an article saying that because of the mortgage renewals coming up and many of you out there have mortgage renewals, I have one coming up in April of 2025. I'm at 249 because I got it out in 2020. Um, but there's a little anxiety there. What's my rate going to be? How much is my payment going to go up? Desjardins is telling us that, you know what? They see the Bank of Canada having to lower rates. BNN recently did an article on this because of all those mortgage renewals. We've got $900 billion in mortgage renewals in the next three years coming up. They see that as a problem because if these people are going to renew into these high rates, it's going to cause a problem. It's going to cause an economic hardships. And they see that the Bank of Canada may have to lower rates just to compensate for all these renewals that are coming up. So there's a lot of predictions next year for for rates to start coming down Uh, Bank of Canada, whether it be a half, Desjardins is a little more aggressive. They see rates Bank of Canada coming from five to two and a half. Um, You can add 2.2 to that to get the prime rate. So if they go to two and a half, that's 4.7. If Desjardins is correct, they're saying this is gonna go out to 2025. But a lot of people are starting to look at rates starting to come down next year. So that's kind of the predictions in the market. Not my prediction, personally. I can't make predictions. I
0: wanted to touch on something really important there, where the bonds that are issued have a direct correlation to what we're seeing on the fixed rate market. And can you quickly explain for borrowers out there, Bruno, the difference of Like, let's say what someone's getting from a variable rate and how that's from the Bank of Canada's prime rate and the relation that let's say like five year fixed rates, which have like a lot of people, that's a common mortgage product and how that's directly correlated to these bond yields. And as you're talking about the bond yield demand going down and interest rates going up, it could be alarming for someone who wants to take a potential five year fixed rate.
1: Now, if you take a five-year fixed rate, you're locking that into five years. So uh, what we're seeing now, and I don't want to cause too much alarm, I'm just kind of saying what's going on in the market in terms of government debt being inflationary. But uh, recently, the good news is that the five-year bond yield has come down, and our five-year high ratio insured rate has come down from 594 to 569, and, and that's good news. So there has been some slight decreases in rates. We certainly would like to see rates come down. In the spring, when the market was doing very well across Canada is what I'm talking about. In Saskatchewan, we talked earlier that the market is doing quite well. But across Canada, the market has not been doing that great. There's been a lot of supply, um, lower sales numbers. But we saw in the spring when interest rates on the five-year fixed mortgage were in the fours. We were very busy. We got very, very busy that in Canada, the number of sales actually started to get towards the 10-year moving average, um, which was very good because when rates started to go up, it plummeted, and then it kind of bounced back a little bit. And if you look at CREA, CREA stats, C-R-E-A dot C-A, and you look at their market reports, you can see that the market started to improve, and then it's come back down again. So bond yields are important because the spread between those five-year Government of Canada bond yields, and if you Google it, Market Watch has a live bond yield report, the spread determines what your fixed rate is. So as those yields come down, the five-year fixed rates will come down. Um, And that's what we've kind of seen lately. So, But you're fixed for five years. The variable mortgages, of course are based off of prime. So right now if your high ratio is prime minus 90, 7.2 is prime, you got 6.3%, which is a lot higher than you can get on a five year fixed. The people that would take that are those people that think there's going to be an aggressive reduction in prime. So if I take a variable now and I'm gonna pay a higher rate, why would I do that? I'm doing it because I'm thinking rates are gonna come down. And if I believe that rates are gonna come down, maybe a variable product's good for me because if I believe, let's say what Desjardins is talking about and that that the Bank of Canada is going to reduce rates down to 2.5 and I'm at 4.7, if I get prime minus 90, geez, my rate could come down. That's if I believe that. Now, that may or may not happen. We don't know. But if you strongly believe that rates are going to come down next year, the variable product, if you can afford paying a higher interest now and rates do in fact start coming down. Now, remember... The narrative is higher for longer. And if you believe higher for longer, you might want to take a fixed rate mortgage because you got 569 and you don't have to worry about it. If you can afford it, that's great. And life is good for you. There's also two and three year fixed rate options out there as well. They're at a bit higher rate. But again, if you take a one or a two year, you believe, okay, no, I'm going to take a one year fixed because I believe in one year I'm going to get a better interest rate. Right now, that's some people will, will consider those options, but they're going to have to pay a higher rate the five-year fixed rate right now is probably the most popular one that we have as RNG mortgages.
0: It becomes very complicated for borrowers because, you know, we as mortgage brokers or people in the mortgage space are trying to advise best for clients about how can we essentially save you the most money over a long period of time and that's really easy if you could determine exactly what's going to happen one two three four five years down the road and just as a plug for rmg one of the things that i really love about rmg is fair penalty lender meaning charges prepayment penalties based off the contract rate on a bank's posted rate that you'd see also really good portability clauses assumable so You know, not only do you guys offer good rates, but you do have some really good flexibility in the way that the contracts are structured. So if someone is considering a mortgage, whether it's through me or RMG, or or even if you were to go to um, uh, another lender that doesn't charge these things, it's really important to be cognizant of how your mortgage contracts are formulated. So you're not getting stuck in a mortgage that if we do see rates come down, you can take advantage of some of this stuff.
1: Yeah, so when you look at IRD, interest rate differential, a lot of times people will look at, hey, well, it's IRD or three months interest. So let's say, well, that's the same over there as it is over there as it is. It's always IRD or three months interest, whichever is greater. However, to your point, how are you calculating IRD? So we have, let's say, 569. Let's say rates go down and there's two years to go in in your mortgage. We would look at what rate you have, the two-year rate, and then calculate it that way, the interest rate differential, and then compare it to what three months interest would cost and whichever is greater. But there are different ways of calculating IRD. Uh, You would be able to explain that to a borrower, say, hey, listen, this lender calculates IRD different than this lender. You have to be careful, because the difference, as you know, can be tens of thousands of dollars i mean it could be a very large variance between one lender and another lender depending upon how they calculate their ird of course it would matter what your mortgage balance is how much rates have come down and so on but the variance in ird calculations are are pretty big even though they're all ird it's something that of course you as a mortgage broker would explain to a client say hey listen maybe Maybe this lender has a little bit higher rate, but I'd like to explain something to you. Uh, When you look at the contract and you look at the flexibility of this mortgage, maybe it's in your best interest to take a little higher rate, not much, five or 10 basis points, but know that the flexibility that this lender offers is gonna give you options down the road that aren't gonna cost an arm and a leg.
0: Right, I did some back of the napkin math with the client the other day. I actually used RMG as the comparing lender. Um, And then he gave me, I won't name the bank, but his existing bank's rate. And it was actually the exact same offering. But because I knew that that bank charged a posted rate in an example of one year going by and interest rates dropping to 4%, he would save $10,000 in penalty by going with RMG as opposed to his big bank. So something for all borrowers to kind of keep in mind is which bank not is only giving me the best rate, but the most flexibility. But kind of rounding back to to our point there, Bruno, when borrowers are are trying to determine a five-year variable, a five, four, three, two, one fixed-year term, what indicators would you say should they be focusing on to help them make an informed decision to say, we don't know what interest rates are going to do, but here are the things to pay attention
1: to as a borrower. I think the number one thing to pay attention to is the Bank of Canada. And you, you can always go on their website. They, 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 they say when they're going to meet. Um, when they do meet, follow what they say, what's going on. Uh, f- you know, follow the GDP economic indicators. They are very important. Uh, unemployment numbers. Um, what's going on in the economy? Because if the economy weakens, typically the Bank of Canada lowers rates. The good news for the Bank of Canada is because they're at 5%, um, they have a lot of so-called bullets in the gun. So if uh, if they have to tackle, a, if a recession comes and attacks them, it's not like they're at you know, 2% or something where they don't have a lot of ammunition. They got a lot of ammunition. They could start bringing rates down, as could the United States. I believe the United States is at 5.5%. So they could start bringing rates down if a recession does hit. Some of the things also to note that you have to look at, and one of the main things is every Thursday in the United States, they announce jobless claims numbers. There is a widespread right now between... The unemployed and jobless. So there's still this notion that because there's there's sorry, the unemployed and job openings. The spread between the job openings and the unemployed is like something like three million in the United States. Before the rest uh, sorry, before the um pandemic hit, it was like one million. So there's still this notion that there is a labor shortage and because there's a labor shortage they feel that people have to pay more for labor which is inflationary. So if you have to pay more for labor to attract labor because the spread between job openings and unemployed is so great that's inflationary and that's kind of might keep rates a little bit higher but it has been coming down. So the Thursday job numbers the market really looks at and that's like i use the website tradingeconomics.com you can go in on the u.s economic calendar you can see all the announcements when you look at thursdays there's always a big market shift depending upon those jobless claims so if the jobless claims come in higher than the market expects yields typically come down if the jobless claims come in lower yields typically rise and there's a lot of fluctuations on that labor market wage pressure number Um, but you got to look at the overall economy I mean what do you think do you think that we're going to continue into a recession where the Bank of Canada is going to have to do something about it if you think so and you believe you read your research you believe that you know what I'm looking at Desjardins as an example I kind of believe where they're coming from and I think rates will drop then maybe I'll take a variable because I think rates are gonna drop. Now, if I wanna take a fixed, I'm gonna talk to my mortgage broker. We're gonna talk about flexibility of that fixed product. Maybe I will take the chance. I'm happy I can afford the payment. You know what? If I need to refi, I need to do something down the road. I know this lender has different products. Let's say a second mortgage product that they can do for me. Different things that allow me that flexibility to do different things, to port the mortgage. To, to pay the penalty if the rates come down, but I have that comfort of that fixed. It's all what's your comfort level, right? I mean, if you can afford the variable at prime, let's say minus 90, and you're at that's for a high ratio deal, I mean, that's 6.3% versus a 569. You're paying a, quite a bit more interest. You got to really expect that the Bank of Canada is going to lower rates quickly to be able to get you back down to that rate. So it's up to the market, the GDP numbers, the bond yields, what's happening with U.S. 10-year treasuries. You look at all those numbers. If you think they're trending down, if you think that rates will come down, I mean, maybe something shorter term. Maybe you want the security, but you want a short term. So you look at a two-year or a three-year. Maybe a three-year is right for you. But you're going to pay a higher rate. And If you pay a higher rate on, let's say, a three-year, you gotta really expect the rate's gonna be super low to compensate for that higher rate you've paid for three years. So it might, it might the math might not work for you because geez, in three years the rate would have to be super low for me to make up for all that higher interest I paid. I mean, honestly, for my opinion, it's between a five-year fixed and a variable. The five-year fixed gives you a little bit of flexibility with certain lenders. Great. The variable, you're thinking rates are gonna come down, but they're gonna come down next year, and quickly. Because, I mean, the spread's about, what is the spread right now? It's pretty pretty big. It's about 75 basis points between a fixed and a variable, even if you get the best rates. I'm talking about high ratio rates. So the broker's going to explain the difference between high ratio, conventional. Conventional rates, as you know, are much higher than the high ratio insured rates. When a mortgage is insured, you get a better rate because the lender knows it's insured. So if it's insured, they're not going to take any losses. They're going to give you a better rate. If it's uninsured, there's potential for losses. The rate goes up. So there's different concepts. The rates I'm quoting here can be different depending upon, is it high ratio? Is it low ratio? Is it a a refi? Is it a purchase? Is it 5% down? Is it 20% down? Is it a million plus property? You know, there's so many connotations and variations. You need to talk to your mortgage broker.
0: Even as a broker, sometimes it can get confusing. Insured, insurable, uninsurable. What does that mean? How does it correlate to rate? So yeah, I, I think you explained that well, Bruno, that, you know, the the lender takes less risk when it's mortgage default insured, even though it seems counterintuitive to a borrower that, you know, with a lower down payment, I, I have a lower interest rate. Um, but It it can be highly borrower specific too. And so I think, you know, taking in risk appetite and and kind of having that belief of what are we going to see coming up and trying to make the best informed decision that you can. So I think you did a really good job uh, explaining that. Bruno, anything else that you think would be important that a, a borrower who's potentially buying, renewing or refining right now? Any last piece of advice or, or words of wisdom to pass off to them just before we get to uh, some some advice to a, a young younger version of yourself?
1: What's important is renewal. So if you have a mortgage now and you're coming up for renewal, uh, I understand there might be a little anxiety because you're coming out of a much better interest rate. We know that in 2019, I think rates were like, what, 389, something like that. I'm not sure like what those rates would be coming out of. But we know in 2020, personally, I took a mortgage in 2020, I got 249 for a five year fixed is what I took. And I know that rates are much higher now. So you really should talk to your mortgage broker, give you a call, go through the application. There are opportunities, the Saskatchewan real estate market we were talking with before about how well the market's doing and values are going up. Um, potentially you might have some equity in your property, you can use that equity To maybe consolidate some debt, you know, so that your overall financial position, even though your mortgage rate has gone up, maybe you can pay off a car loan or pay off some credit cards, repackage your mortgage, uh, redo it on a 30 year RAM so that your financial position doesn't, you know, end up in worse shape than it would. If, uh, if you just sign the renewal so I would say call definitely call you and talk it over look at your options look at your equity position is it high ratio insured um, if you're going to transfer it you know what are your, what are your options in transferring it what are your options in maybe paying off some debt maybe consolidating so a lot of different things but with 900 billion dollars in mortgages that's just what chartered banks coming do in the next three years that's a big topic for people. Um, If you're buying with 5% down, look at what are you paying in rent? You know, what could you own for? I mean, look at your rent versus own. Rent inflation is through the roof right now and you're not really getting anything for it. When you buy a property with 5% down, your overall payment, don't look at the interest rate, look at where your payment is. Your payment might be very similar to your rent. And by the way, as you pay your mortgage down, you're building yourself some wealth, some net worth. If your property goes up in value, If your mortgage is obviously going to be amortized and coming down in five years time, you might have developed yourself some nice net worth in your property, some wealth that you've created uh, when you own a property versus when you're renting a property. So that rent versus own, I think is very important to look at. If you're renting right now and you're thinking about buying, um, certainly give you a call, talk it over 5% down. You might already have it. You can use your RRSPs if you're a first time home buyer, there's gift options. There's the Flex Down program that we have where you can actually borrow your down payment and they'll insure it for you. So there's a lot of options out there for people to get into home ownership, versus renting. And I think that's something that people have to look at. Um, So your purchases, your transfer switches are very important. Um, You know, some people like to invest in rental properties and so on. Again, that's something to contact you about and talk to you about. Um, but that's basically the advice I would have on that regard.
0: I've given my thumbs up to all of it. Well said, Bruno. And I I really like to ask people who come on the podcast, this question, I get lots of great answers, but if you could go back and talk to a younger version of yourself, what advice would you
1: give? Um, That's a difficult question because being, I mean, I, I started in this business in 1990 as a younger version of myself um i have to go before i started because i think that financial literacy is very important so younger people even people in university um should learn a little bit about home ownership mortgages how they work um you know talk to a mortgage broker i'm sure you'd be happy to talk to them i mean doing go to a seminar all of first them time yeah, I'm, by I'm,
0: I'm, I'm, I'm an open book yeah
1: so and you know what learn something about geez you know what what does it take what do I need to do where should I start because I knew nothing about mortgages before I started I started a household finance uh, which is no longer in existence but it's a finance company from 1990 they hired me straight out of York University I was the happiest person in the planet my salary was $25,130 a year, and I was so happy. It was my first full-time job. I was working in an office. I was thrilled. And there's where I learned about all the things that you need to learn about. What's loan-to-value mean? What does G, uh, GDS, TDS, what are the qualifying? What's a credit bureau, a beacon score? They're, well, we didn't have beacon scores back then, but even a credit bureau. And what's on the credit bureau? What does it look like? I had no idea. I learned all that when I was there, and then I said, holy smokes, you know what, I'm learning about what it takes to buy a house because I never really knew this. Parents really didn't teach me, I, I'm an immigrant to Canada, my dad, he didn't even know what I did selling mortgages, he says, "You sell? He didn't, he's, Eastern Europeans don't like mortgages, how do you sell something nobody wants? Said, nobody wants a mortgage, <laughs> okay, Eastern Europeans, right, well, dad, they do, they want to buy a house. Uh, it's not about the mortgage. It's about the homeownership and your family and and having the pride of homeownership. So learning all that through my experience at Household Finance was good. But if I go previous to that, I would have learned more when I was in university. I took economics in university and I took all those things. But I didn't know anything about mortgages, nothing, until I started at Household Finance. And I learned from a lady there that taught me all these things about First mortgages, second mortgages, and all the high ratio mortgages and insured and down payments and how to get them. And, you know, and then eventually, of course, I bought my first house and I was the happiest person there again. It was very nice to buy your first home. We all remember when we bought our first home. If you haven't bought your first home yet, the feeling is wonderful. I had a small child, he's now 27, <laughs> but you know, we got out of an apartment in Toronto, we moved to Kitchener, I live in Kitchener, Waterloo, bought a little semi, 125000 back then, I was so happy. Three bedrooms across from a park, life was good. So the feeling of buying your first home is a wonderful feeling, be it if it's a condo, a home, whatever, it's a nice feeling, because it's an investment that you've made and now you're building net worth, right? And I sold that for more, I bought another house, I sold that for more, I I bought another house in Richmond Hill, and you know, the market has always been behaving pretty good for me, and I got fortunate in that regard, but as you pay your mortgage down, you're building some, some, some wealth for yourself, some net worth, something you can build on.
0: You illustrated it beautifully. I love that, Bruno. That, the idea of buying your first home is not only, a place where you lay your head and raise your kids. But ultimately, for a lot of Canadians, it does become that investment vehicle of, you know, every month, I pay a little bit of that principal down. And after 25 years, if I don't touch it, you, you've got a paid off asset, And that's usually people's biggest asset when they move into retirement. So it's not usually something we're talking about when we're getting that first home, but uh, an absolute wonderful benefit um bruno is there any contact information for you or like, I, I i assume you just work in the mortgage broker channel do you, I, I assume you don't have a an instagram or a facebook page where people could follow you or anything like that
1: the only thing i do have is i do have uh linkedin i okay. don't have anything else but uh, i always encourage people to contact you um you're the contact person and then you decide is rmg the best fit because it might not be maybe it's a conventional mortgage maybe it's a different type. Maybe the person wants a line of credit. I mean, there's all the mortgage broker is your best source of contact because you have that capability of making sure that what you get for that client is the right choice. An RMG may or may not be like if you wanted a line of credit, you're not going to send it to me. You might send it to a bank, a bank that you have a relationship with, maybe a credit union. Um, so, you know, maybe there's other issues with the deal and you need to go to Uh, so-called B lender that can still help the client consolidate that, you know, there's all kinds of different uh, connotations. So I would encourage everyone to contact you.
0: Wonderful. Thank you for your time, Bruno. I really appreciate it. Thanks for being a part of the podcast.
1: Thank you for having me, Ron. Appreciate it.
0: Hey, thanks for checking out this episode of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, if you found some value here, please do us a favor, hit the like button and subscribe button whether you're watching on YouTube or taking this podcast in through Apple or Spotify. If you are in the market for a mortgage in Saskatchewan and need some direction, I am a licensed mortgage broker and can help you with that next purchase, renewal, or refinance. Until next week, I'm Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional. Bye for now.